folks, Dr. Tim Jordan here with a new episode of Raising Daughters. And if you're the kind of parent who wants to remain an influence in your daughter's life throughout the teen years and beyond, you're always at the right place here on Raising Daughters. Today, I'd like to talk about sports. And the reason I want to talk about sports today is because of two things. First, the Olympics are about to begin within the next week. And secondly, I just saw a really good documentary it was called Weight in Gold on HBO Sports. And it was, it was trying to increase awareness about all the mental health issues and challenges that Olympic athletes face. In this particular special, they interviewed uh, Michael Phelps, Apollo Ono, Sean White, Lolo Jones, Gracie Gold, uh, Katie Ulander, Bodie Miller, Dave Budia, uh, Jeremy Bloom, Sasha Cohen, and posthumously Stephen Holcomb and Jarrett Speedy Peterson. So this documentary kind of dove into the, all the depression, anxiety, suicidal thoughts, and other mental health crises that seem to plague these athletes more than we think as they go on their quest to get an Olympic medal. Not just a, a medal, but a gold medal. And the, and the amount of suicide and uh, suicidal thoughts and depression and anxiety is, is amazing, even for the athletes who are the most successful. Michael Phelps being one who's a who's uh, come out and talked about a lot, and he's one of the producers of this particular film. All the intense training, the hours, and the singular focus to the exclusion of other things in their life, things like friendships, having a social life, family time, uh, family vacations. They had talked a lot in this documentary about their fear of even taking one day off because they would get behind in their training. And these athletes experience a lot of extreme highs and extreme lows. And they talked, several of them talked about how they worked their whole life since starting at about age six or eight or 10, their whole life and all this training 24 seven, 365 days a year, it all, all boils down to, you know, sometimes as little as five to 10 seconds during their event, during the Olympics. And if all that time and energy does not end up giving them a medal, they're labeled a loser or a choker. Lolo Jones is a hurdler. She trained her whole life, and on, on a race uh, during the Olympics for the gold medal, she barely touched the top of one of her hurdles, and she lost her dream of gold and a medal. She was devastated, and she still is. Bodie Mil Miller is a, is a famous skier. He failed to win a gold medal, even though he was favored in three different Olympics. And so when he was done with the third one, he was labeled a failure and a choker. At age 36, by the way, he became the oldest alpine skier to ever win an Olympic medal. It was a bronze, not a gold. But he talked also about how people were making fun of him, criticizing him, because he didn't win the gold. Michael Phelps is probably the poster child for what we're going to be talking about today. His first Olympics was at the age of 15 in, the, in uh, 2000. He was also in the Olympics in 2004, 2008, 2012, 2016. And in the end, he got his 28th and final medal 13 years after the first one in Rio, at a time when he was married and had a baby son. All in all, he, he uh, attained 28 medals, and he's the most decorated Olympian of all time. He has 23 gold medals to his name, which is the best of all time as well. And in 1918, three years ago, he came out and revealed that he had been suffering from ADHD and depression 
during a lot of those years and even considered suicide after the 2012 Olympics. In uh, 2004, when he was 19, he got, a, he got a DUI. He was suspended from the Olympic program for, I think it was six months in 2009, when there was a photo of him smoking weed that went viral. He got a second D- DUI in 2014 and also was suspended, I think, for six months as well from the Olympic program. When he, when he was asked on this program, what do you want his kids to, to be going for the Olympics? And he said, and I quote, honestly, in a perfect world, I'd say no. Just because I don't want them to live in my footsteps. And I also know everything about it. I know the ins and the outs, the good, the bad, the ugly. So, you know, as a parent, it just, it just frightens me. A former Olympic gymnast, Tasha Schweikert, she put it this way. At the end of the day, I look at that medal and it's not joyful. I just look at it and I see like pain. I see a lot of pain. Gold medalist uh, uh, racer uh, Katie Ulander, she laments missing the death of her father while she was training. They wouldn't let her off. Figure skater Gracie Gold notes that if she needed surgery, she'd be on the operating table the next morning with the best surgeon in the country all organized by the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee. But when she asked one time to seek therapy, she just got shoulder shrugs, and she wasn't given any support. So if you're listening to this right now, and you're saying, okay, my kid's one of the 99.99% of people whose kids are not going to the Olympics, and you're wondering why is this important, and you may be thinking these Olympic athletes are an extreme, right? But I'm saying to you right now here today, I don't know that they're at such an extreme. I'm very aware of the benefits of kids playing youth sports. I did sports my whole life. When I was a kid, I played soccer. I played um, baseball a lot. When I went to high school, I played football four years. I did hockey, ice hockey for four years. I did soccer for a couple years. I know the value of learning teamwork, learning skills on the playing field. It's great exercise for your body and your mental health. It's good to learn how to win and to lose and to, and to develop good sportsmanship. It's good for girls to see their body for its function instead of just its, its appearance. It's nice to make friends with similar interests. A lot of kids end up creating a little tribe of, of support around them with their friends and their parents' friends. But like with Olympians, I see a lot of kids in my counseling practice who are suffering because of their sports. The last 10 or so years, we've got this new mindset that our kids need to hyper-specialize early on, and that's becoming earlier and earlier. I get kids in my office practice all the time saying that their coaches, and by the way, these are kids as young as six, seven, eight. their coaches telling them that they need to focus on one sport. They're playing the same sport too many times, anywhere from 10 to 12 months of the year with very few breaks and small breaks, even though that's against the recommendations of the American Academy of Pediatrics and the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons. Overuse injuries injuries have been rising a lot in the last 10 to 15 years, partly because of sports specialization, partly because coaches and parents are not following youth sport participation recommendations about taking long breaks and doing different sports. And that increases the chance of overuse injuries in sports. And it's also important because most of you, many of you, most of you who are listening to this, because this is about raising daughters, 
Female athletes are more frequently specialized in a sport at earlier ages than boys, and they are sustaining more injuries than males and more overuse injuries. Among high school athletes, girls are at a greater risk for overuse injuries than boys, according to a a national study in the Journal of Pediatrics. That was in 2015. The article found that many of these kids are playing a single sport and that that is, in fact, a major risk factor for these overuse injuries. Their bodies are seeing the same repetitive blows with one sport over and over and over. I have seen a lot of girls in my counseling practice in the last 10 or so years who are there because they're depressed because of injuries. I saw a girl who I, who was depressed because she had been a gymnast and a high-level gymnast for a long time. She was in about 8th or ninth grade, I believe. This is like a year or so ago. And she had to quit gymnastics, gymnastics because she had broken her back twice. I saw a teen one time who was in high school, who had to quit gymnastics because she had broken her wrists several times and her ankles. I've seen many girls who are in cheerleading and competitive cheerleading, by the way, who have to quit because of the too many concussions. And when they have to quit because of those injuries, they're lost. They have no identity outside of their sports. And that's what a lot of their depression comes from. They don't know what, who they are or what, they, or what they're interested in or what they want to do. Or I ask them things like, well, since you can't do gymnastics, well, since you can't do your soccer or you can't do cheer, what do you want to do? What do you like to do? And most of them burst into tears and say, I don't know. I have no idea. And by the way, on that, on that uh, documentary, Weight and Gold, Michael Phelps said the exact same thing about Olympic athletes when their days are over, when their competition days are done. Most high-level athletes feel the same sense of loss. They feel lost, and they have to reform their identity because their whole identity is wrapped up in their sport. That's all they are about, and they have been for the first 15, 18, 25, 30 years of their life. Many of them also lamented that by the time the next Olympics comes around, four years after they're done, they're no longer recognized. I remember a girl one time about five years ago who was a high-level gymnast. She was uh, just just under the level of, of, uh, of the Olympic uh, level. I remember she told me that uh, when she decided to quit gymnastics, it was hard because she said, I was known at school as a gymnast. So when I quit, I lost that identity, and so I wasn't noticed anymore. People didn't know who I was. I find a lot of these athletes who end up having to quit a sport because of an injury, or also because they they get burned out, or for many of them, they graduate high school and they're not going to play in college. Their whole life has been structured around their sport. Their seasons, (laughs) their weekends, their summers, everything is about the sport. Their whole family's activities oftentimes center around that sport and the tournaments. So when they end up uh, dropping out for whatever reason, they have a hard time knowing how to structure their days on their own. It's kind of like they knew their place in the sport by their ranking, by the numbers, by their times, if you will. They're used to getting accolades continuously from coaches and from their parents and other parents. But now they're not sure how they're doing because they're not getting that constant feedback. Their sense of confidence and their standing has come so much from outside of them 
and now it has to come from within. By the way, I've, I've talked to a lot of people in the business world who hire a lot of young 20-something people, and they talk about their need for constant um, acknowledgement. Because I think they're used to the same kind of thing all the way through high school. And when they get into college and beyond, they have a hard time transitioning to their sense of self coming from within as well. One of the challenges for these athletes when they end up stopping the sport because of injuries, because they age out or because they move on to college, is they have to switch from, from competing to get approval and acknowledgement and to be noticed and to not disappoint their parents, not disappoint their coaches, not disappoint their teammates. They have to switch from that, those externals, to getting their sense of themselves from within. To learn to start doing things for their reasons. So they need to be asked questions like, what do you want to do and why? So much of their life up to then has been programmed for them. You go from this team to that team to this level to this tournament. And now that's all, that's all been pushed aside. I remember hearing a story about a girl named Muriel, who was a young girl, um, moved with her family to Europe. To France. And it was there that she learned, <clears throat> excuse me, how to play soccer. She was a good little player. And when her family moved back to the States, when she was in grade school, she started playing soccer here and she excelled. She was always playing up a year or two. She was one of the youngest people to ever play for the, for the uh, 14 and under team. She was a great player. She ended up getting a full ride to college to play soccer. And she, she recounts in a story I read in a book called um, The Right Words at the Right Time by Marlo Thomas. She, re- she recalls that one day she was called into the office of the, of the head soccer coach who interviewed each of his players before the season. And he said to Muriel, you know, what do you want for the year? What are your goals? And Muriel said, I want to be the best. And the coach said, oh, great. And he said, what does that mean? What does that mean to you to be the best? And that question stumped Muriel. She kind of stammered apparently and said, I, I, and she didn't have an answer because she had never really thought about that. I think her answer was what she thought he wanted to hear from her. So he said to her something that was very wise. He walked over to the light switch, light switch in the room. He turned the lights off, then he turned them back on. He said, if you want to be the best, it's a decision that you have to make each and every day. And he walked out of the room, leaving Muriel to reflect, to think for herself. What did it mean to her? And she says for the first time in her life, she was doing some soul searching, like, do I want to play soccer? Why do I want to play soccer? What does it mean to me to excel? What do I want? If I can put everybody else aside, what do I want? So she decided she did want to be a good player. She wanted to be the best, which meant for her she wanted to make the Olympic women's soccer team and the gold medal. I'm sorry, the uh, the uh, gold cup soccer teams. And so she really pushed herself for the next four years during her college experience. And she won four national championships. She was the captain of her of her North Carolina soccer team. She did end up playing for the U.S. Olympic team. She won two gold medals. She also won the World Cup two different times. And when she finally retired, she was the leading scorer in women's international soccer history. 
Muriel is Mia Ham. Muriel was her given name. So every one of the athletes in your home, I want to be asked the questions like, why are you doing what you're doing? Why do you like to do gymnastics? Why do you like soccer? If they say things like they like to score goals or they like to win, I would say, why, what is it about winning that, that's important to you? Get them to start reflecting on what it's about for them. There comes a time in the teen years when they, they need to switch from what their parents think is best for them to what they think is best for them. They need to know that, especially as they go out, go out into the world after high school. They need to learn to have, to have some quiet time to reflect, to, to contemplate, for soul searching. If we want them to follow their, their urges and to trust their urges and to follow their heart, they've got to have access to that. They must have access to their intuition. And you can only get that if you learn how to cultivate quiet alone time. Any athlete that may be in your home who decides to quit because of injuries especially, or even if they have to move on from high school, it's a loss for them. And I would treat it as a loss. They've got to grieve it as a loss. Those girls I've seen who end up quitting because of overuse injuries and because of all those kinds of injuries I mentioned before, it takes time for them to process through the whole thing. Like, what do I want to do for now? They need to take the time to journal what they learned about themselves from their experience with sports. What they gain? What are some of the life lessons they want to take with them? What are some things they want to leave behind? Just like I would do the same thing with girls when they've broken up with, with their dating partner. I want them to take time to learn from it. Another thing, by the way, that I, I've noticed with a lot of girl athletes is sometimes they end up with body image issues. I had a summer camp a few weeks ago. I was working with some grade school girls. And they were talking about their bodies, so we decided to do some, an exercise. We gave them a picture of a, uh, of a person. It looked like a gingerbread man with nothing on it. And we said we wanted them to mark on there the places in their body that they judged in a negative way. And so we gave them like five or ten minutes to do that. And there's a girl sitting right by me who is an athlete. She plays three sports. She's in great shape. And what she wrote on her form was how she didn't like her chubby legs and she thought she had flabby upper arms. This girl has zero flab. <laughs> she is like, you know, she's in incredible shape. But because she's muscular, she was seeing it as being fat. And she had gotten into the habit of comparing herself to some of the little stick figure, you know, toothpick kind of friends of hers who didn't play sports, and because she didn't look like them, she felt like she was fat. I've seen a lot of girls who end up with a distorted body image because of their muscular legs and their arms and whatever. So we need to help girls to, to see that in a different way, to value their bodies for its function, not how it looks. Also to understand that muscle weighs more, so when they gain weight when they're building up muscle, that's not because they're fat, it's because they're good at their sport. We also need to support our girls as far as the community that, they, that they're doing their sports with better. Especially if your girls are on hyper-competitive teams. A lot of times that within the team can create jealousies and dramas because they're competing to be the best on the team. They're competing for playing time. They're also together a lot when they go on tournaments and things. And that's a good thing, but also can be a problem. It can create some drama if there's no guidance. I remember years ago 
my wife and I had been invited by a, gym, a gymnastics gym to work with their level 10 high-level gymnasts. And there was about 20 of them. And they wanted us to work with them because they were having a lot of issues with the girls getting along and some backstabbing and things like that, some drama. And remember what the girls needed was just a safe place to sit in a circle and talk about how they felt about things. We taught them some skills to resolving conflicts peacefully. And a bunch of them asked one of their teammates to come in the circle. They worked out things. They end up hugging and going back and into the circle. They, I think every team like that needs some support. We help them set intentions for their community, for their team. They each got a chance to share how they want to be supported by the team. What felt good, what didn't feel good. I think if you don't give girls that kind of a form when they're on a team, especially a team that's traveling together or together a lot, I think you're setting yourself up for there being drama and things, which takes away from the experience. And that's one reason why many girls end up quitting teams is because they're there for the social part of it. If the social part of it is crappy, they don't want to play anymore. I also see a lot of girls who feel stressed out because of the pressure from their parents and coaches and recruiters and the whole college prospect kind of thing. The early showcases, there's some girls in certain sports that when they're in their freshman and sophomore years of high school are already being showcased for colleges. At that weekend retreat where we did that body image exercise, the girls were talking at one point during the week about some of the, how stressed they feel at times. And by the way, these are girls going into fourth, fifth, and sixth grade. And we asked them, what, you know, what's causing you so much stress? The number one answer was not middle school. It wasn't high school. It wasn't friend drama. It was college and their futures. I've heard that a bunch of times in the last several years from girls as young as grade school. And I think part of that is because of all this pressure about A's and top colleges and also top teams, sports scholarships, etc. The girls I see in my counseling practice who want to quit their sports and who are depressed and they're burned out, usually it's because of the coaches being yellers or not being, or the coaches being too intense. Sometimes it's because of the friendships that they're not having on their teams. And the reason, and also because they just, they've been playing 12 months of the year for the last six years, since they were like eight years old. And they want something different. And they have, they have a hard time moving on because they're so afraid of disappointing parents, coaches, teammates. So a lot of them stick around and they try and stick it out and tough it out. And their parents want them to tough it out. And the kids always tell me too, my parents have invested so much money and so much time and so much energy in me in this sport that I just can't. I just can't stop, even though I hate it. Too many parents today value achievement over character when it comes to sports. And that, of course, adds a lot of pressure. A lot of girls end up with anxiety about measuring up, anxiety because they feel like they're, they're disappointing their parents if they're not making the best team, if they're not scoring goals, etc. But they also can get uh, depression if they fail. If they're, if they're not measuring up. So anxiety and depression can go hand in hand. And in that documentary about Olympic athletes, that was very, very common. So we need to make some changes. 
I, I've noticed in, in the news in the last, oh, six months or more, that college athletics is starting to change. You know, athletes can now move uh, from one school to another, I think at least one time, if they're not happy with the, if the university they're at. They can also now sell their image and make money off of, off of themselves, even when they're playing. So that was not uh, allowed before. To me, the next step would be to drop college athletics and college scholarships for sports. And if there's kids who are in high school who want to go further with sports, then I think there should be minor leagues for basketball and soccer and lacrosse and base, just like it is in baseball. They can get drafted and go right into their sport so that they don't go to college and take up a spot that somebody else could have. Also, all that money that goes into sports facilities can be used for people who are not athletes, just anybody else who wants to go and play basketball or play soccer. I know some of you are saying, oh, yeah, but a lot of the money comes from, from um, you know, people donating money because of sports. Yes. But I also feel like people, when, if you remove that, they would, they would also support the university when it came to things like athletics. And we wouldn't need as much money because we wouldn't be paying coaches $10 million a year. I'd like to take away that holy grail that is driving parents to extreme behaviors like yelling at, at their kids' games, abusing the officials. I have a friend who's been umpiring uh, or refereeing high school basketball and also high school football for the past, oh, 15 or 20 years. And he was a coach before that. And he said that there's a, a, a big shortage in referees in the high school level in both those sports and probably other sports as well. And the reason that people say to him, and he was he was part of the, of the leadership um, committee that was trying to get more people to officiate, the number one reason, it wasn't money, that was part of it. The biggest reason was people said it's not worth the abuse I get from the parents and the coaches. The parents with that relentless pressure to push their kids, parents who are uh, overscheduling themselves and their kids, their lives are out of balance. And I think when, when parents get sucked up into that whole cauldron of, I got to get my kid in the best, best team on the right team. They got to go on all these different tournaments. I want my kid to get a college scholarship. When you get sucked up into that vortex, it's hard to get out of it. I even think, despite this maybe being heresy, we need to even rethink the whole obsession with the Olympics. It's such a money and energy drain on the country that does it, and even the countries that are participating with their athletes. I think like college sports, it's become way too political and way too much about making money for the TV networks. There's got to be a different way for athletes to compete where it's not such a big money thing. Also for parents, a couple of suggestions about how to deal with your athletes. First and foremost, foremost, balance. I think it's great for kids to be involved in sports, but the, but the kids who are playing on a, on a traveling soccer team or a baseball team, whatever, I think they should also be doing something else that's totally different, like learning how to play an instrument, like being in a play, like some time in the arts, having a job, having time with their family. God forbid you take a family vacation. And not have to ask permission from the coach. Can I please take you know five days off? Our kids need alone downtime, time to follow their other interests, 
whether it be reading or art or painting or starting their own business or whatever. They need much better balance as people. I want to make sure that your kids are pursuing a sport because of their reasons and not to please you or to not disappoint you. We've got to keep asking them questions about why they are doing the sport they're doing, why they want to do it. That's true for everything they do, by the way. It's also true for why they love theater, why they love to paint. Why, why, why? I want them to start having their passions be pursued because of their own reasons, to give them that kind of autonomy. If they express burnout, listen. They need to be heard and understood. They need to be able to choose their activities and even the level of activity. I know that if they play 20 baseball games in a summer, they can learn the good lessons we want them to learn from sports. They don't need to play 60 games and travel to tournaments every weekend throughout the summer. You don't need all that to learn the lessons. I want your kids to have breaks during the year with each of those sports. At least a month or two in between sports. Do different sports. Have time for family time, family vacations. Let them go to a camp like mine, a quote-unquote normal camp, instead of always being a sports camp. I would choose the coaches or the teams that your kids are on based on the coach and make sure those coaches have good intentions. That's not about winning. It's not about being the best. It's not about getting your kid a college scholarship because if that's, if that's their intention, it's going to be way too intense in my experience. And even if your kid can handle it, I don't want them to handle it. I want them to have more balance. I want them to play for the love of the game. I want them to play because it's fun to be with their friends and also for those lessons we talked about. I saw a Brian Gumbel special one time on, a, on I think it was an HBO sports uh, show he had. And he was talking about youth sports and how it's become a multi-billion dollar business. I'll never forget he was following this one family and they had a boy who was, I think, around 10 or maybe at the most 12. He was a young kid. And they were at this national championship baseball game somewhere in the southeast. And it was like all built up and these teams came from all over the country. This was going to decide the national championship. It was really intense. This kid's team got to the final game. And they, were, they got the chance to film it. And the boy was, I think, on second base. Somebody got a hit. He came running around third. He slid to home. He was safe. They won. Everybody went crazy. The coaches are picking the kids up. It was this great, happy scene. We won the national championship, like the 10-year-old national championship. Number one, I think it's ridiculous. But number two, it's fascinating. When the fans all left, the sponsors of the tournament, the organizers, took the sign that said, you know, boys 10 year old national championship they removed it because they were going to another city in a, in a week to do another one of these national championship games i think they said there was eight or ten of those they were doing that summer it's just a load of crap and who cares if your 10 year old wins the quote-unquote national championship who cares that may not we're making it be too important i would encourage your daughters if they're on teams um, to work on things about like social-emotional learning things, like I mentioned earlier. We need to give them time to talk through things, teach them skills to resolve conflicts, team-building things, setting intentions. I want them to be responsible for their sense of community within that team so that they're getting the best social experience they can from being there. 
I want each and every one of you listening to this podcast to refuse to get caught up in this current rat race of college scholarship or bust, being on the best club team or bust, doing the same sport year round, giving our kids, you know, professional coaches when they're six years old. They overfocus on winning and being on the best club teams. I want us to let all that energy and, and uh, pressure go and do sports for, for a different intention. And you, mom and dad, you're the ones who need to set the tone. I remember uh, we had family meetings when our kids were younger. Every week we would do like a 20, 30-minute family meeting. We would talk at the beginning of the school year typically about uh, the sports seasons coming up. And we made an agreement as a family with our kids' input. They bought into this. They wanted to uh, be able to have family time and downtime because they, they valued that. So we made a family agreement that said only one sport a season. Everybody agreed. They all bought in. And I remember at the end of my son's hockey season one year, he was about mm, maybe 11 or 12. He wanted to play spring hockey. Uh, I was one of the assistant coaches on his team, and I know because of that, it's a long season. Hockey is probably the longest sports season. We had tryouts in August, started then. We weren't done until like middle or end of March. And so, uh, and he went from that season to spring or, you know, summer baseball. So when he said he wanted to play spring hockey, we said, what's our agreement? He said, I know I'm only supposed to play one sport a team or one sport a season, but I really want to play. Everybody's, everybody's going to play in this, on the spring hockey team. And, and I said, we said, great, I understand, we get it. And the answer is no. We made this choice as a family based upon what's important to us. And we don't want to change that rule based upon what everybody else is doing. It's okay to say no. When your kids come home on Halloween night with a pillowcase full of candy, they want to eat the whole thing. So you don't say, oh, that's what he wants. And, you know, he's happy and he wants to eat the whole thing. You don't say, okay. You say, no way. I know it's in, in your best interest at this point. And that's not healthy. And neither is some of this stuff about 12 months of the year sports, early hyperspecialization, etc. I want us all to be more aware of our children's mental health. Just like Michael Phelps in that uh, documentary uh, is also raising awareness about Olympic athletes' mental health. We need, there are kids need, we need to look past uh, the ribbons and the medals and ask how they're feeling. How are they coping? I see so many kids who are going through divorces. And, and if I ask the parents, how do you think they're doing? They'll say, well, their grades are good, as if that was the end all, right? Well, if their grades are good, I guess emotionally they're fine. When in, in reality, that doesn't mean anything about how they're doing or how they're coping. Your kids need a safe place, a safe person, safe people to talk to about their feelings, about their worries, about their fears, about how they feel about their teams, about how they feel about the coach, etc. Just talking about it is healing and it's therapeutic. I don't want them to develop a lot of emotions, negative ones like depression, anxiety, the stress and the pressure because of everything kind of compounding on them like the Olympic athletes, maybe at a smaller scale, but still it feels the same way to your kids. I also want them to know that they're not alone. That a lot of kids go through ups and downs with their, with their sports. Sometimes it's fun. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes they feel like quitting. Sometimes they feel like they feel like doing it, doing more of it. 
Sometimes they're not getting along with the kids in their sport. They're not getting along with the, with the coach. The coach is yelling at them. The coach is too hard on them. They need to be heard and listened to. We need to get in their shoes and see it from their point of view. Sometimes after kids can vent about it and talk about it, maybe give them another way of looking at things, sometimes they don't need to quit the team or the sport. They just need to talk about it. I'd recommend that maybe you watch that documentary. It's called Weight in Gold. It's on HBO, uh, that sports documentary. Watch it with your kids. Maybe it'll raise some discussion about how they feel about their sports, how they feel about their teams and their coaches and the pressures that they're, they're facing. Uh, how they might be feeling if they're leaving high school and they're leaving behind their, their quote-unquote sports careers. They just need an opening to be able to talk about how they're feeling, about what's going on in their minds, maybe help them to put it in perspective. I'd encourage them to do some thinking, some writing, some journaling about lessons, what they want to take with them, what they want to leave behind. All that is really important for their growth. So they get the best out of their sports instead of just the worst. I hope this was interesting. I'll be back here in a week or two with, with another podcast. I appreciate you uh, listening in. I also really appreciate appreciate uh, two things. Number one, you passing these on to your friends. And also you uh, sending me comments. I like to hear your feedback about things that you like, things you don't like, things you don't want to hear, things you want to hear more of. So please uh, feel free to do that. Also check out all the things that I do on my website at drtimjordan.com. Um, and, uh, and there's things on there about my weekend retreats coming up in the fall, the summer camps, my books and my articles and all, everything else that I do. I appreciate you stopping by. I'll see you back here in a couple weeks. Take care and make those choices with great awareness and, and be deliberate.